Hello and welcome to episode 69 of Yagma Soap Opera. I'm Josh, one of your regular co-hosts, joined by Zach and Andy, and our special returning guest, Scott or Enderfall. What's up, buddy? How's it going, guys? It's good, good. Thank you for having me back. We've got a big show today. We've got uh, some interesting info on the league so people can have a little look at what cards were involved in the league and some uh, win and loss percentages for different archetypes. And we've also had uh, three daily events that fired in the last weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evening. So, <laughs> Says the man who may have done well in at least two of them. Is that something? So awesome, guys. The first thing on our agenda here is just a quick look at uh, a list of all the cards that were played in the league, and we've got the number of those cards that were played. So if I had to ask each one of you what you thought the most played card would be, what would you have said? Brainstorm. Wasteland for me. Well... I probably would have said Brainstorm as well. Interestingly, it is the card that George thought would not be good. Mental misstep. I'd like to give that two claps and a round of applause because that card is awesome. (laughs) 107 mental missteps in the league. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I think it's uh, time to stop running one drops. Yeah, just go Lotus Petal into Oath every game. It's a recipe for success. We'll channel. Yeah, you know. So many one-casters. Yeah, and the the thing about the card that makes it so good is unlike Force of Will, where you actually kind of have to run the color, it just fits so well in the archetypes that want to stop the annoying one-drops, like Cage Breaker Dredge, for example. Yeah, its number is clearly inflated by over the other blue cards by being in dredge and stuff. Andy Montolio, is this a card that you could ever see being played in stacks if you're, like, uh, on the on the draw? Uh, I don't think so, Zach. When it first came out, I actually got excited about it. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to have a way to stop nature's claims or, you know, that sort of thing. And I actually tinkered with it a little bit. But the problem is, is that you're, you're playing a deck that's built around spheres and you're not always reliable on non-workshop type mana. And I just found myself getting further and further behind under my own spheres, trying to actually cast it. And uh, uh, also life is at a premium in a deck like stacks with the ancient tombs and, uh, you know, I just found that in the end, it it, it wasn't that good. So I, to answer your question, Zach, no, I don't think it's a feasible card. Chalice just seems superior, don't you think? I beg your pardon? Chalice just seems like the better option for stacks. Yeah, it is, but when I'm actually, uh, you know, on the draw, I am pretty quick to side out my chalices. I guess it depends on the matchup, but chalice is strictly not as good when you're not playing it on turn one. So, uh, you know, I do have open slots there, but not for a card like Mental Misstep. Any other surprising 
results here, guys. There's quite a lot of basic lands, I noticed. Yeah, there were definitely um, a lot of basic lands. I mean, obviously, Island sticks out at, uh, at, at 61 copies. There's almost a direct correlation between how few ghost quarters there were and how many basic lands you see here. Ghost Quarter is pretty niche. It's just not good right now. Nope. Lots of people are running basics. Yeah, I think this uh, gives people an interesting look at what was popular in the league, so maybe they can play around certain things and craft their deck to uh, take advantage of some of these numbers. I'd like to say, you know, everybody always kind of wonders why Dredge... It always, at least in, in paper tournaments, it kind of has a reputation of making it to the top tables but never taking it all down, or almost never. And if you look here in the event, uh, 82 Graph Diggers Cages, 93 Leyline of the Voids. That's just like a, a quick scope of the tournament right now. I just looked for a couple of Dredge Hate cards, and dang, they are out in numbers. That is a lot. 20-plus uh, Yixlet Jailers. I mean, there's there's a lot of just built-in hate in the environment for an archetype like that. So it's always interesting to see him do well. Yeah. I mean, you look at that. My God. 19 Ravenous Traps? How does Dredge ever win? It just shows how ridiculously broken that deck is. I mean, in, in those cards, pretty much every single one of those, aside from, of course, the um, cage having multiple utilities... It's really just targeted hated dredge, specifically Leyline, um, Yixlet Jailer, the, uh, what is it, the Curse, what's the one that's free? The... Uh, Ravenous Trap. Yeah, Rav Trap. Yeah, I mean, those things are all just, like, just, just for dredge. They're not for anything else. I mean, unless I'm wrong, no, is there oh, anything else? Nah. Graph Digger's Cage specifically hits Oath as well. No, 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 I, I said, with, with exception of the cage there. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting seeing some of these numbers. Um, I don't think the artifact hate was out in as much force as I would think it would be. Like, looking at the list, there were 26 ancient grudges and 58 nature's claims. Uh, I was specifically running a singleton serenity, but, you know, there's, there's not near the number of artifact hate as there is dredge hate. I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and there's not a lot of targeted creature removal either there's yeah the stps were quite low in this there's only uh, six path to exile i mean it's, it's strange i guess a lot of people have moved to lightning bolt yeah that's what i was gonna say i think it's more like maybe a little bit more red um the way people are leaning like we talked to the, i don't know if it was right before qt1 or maybe it was like in the classic quarter forums but I was talking about how I just don't understand how red like was so much better than white, and white was always the forgotten color. And I mean, this this uh, look at the numbers under white; it's kind of a joke. They're all single digits except for STP and Thalia's Thalia's of all things. Yeah, there's like 50 white cards in the whole tournament. That's crazy. Well, red and white are both labeled uh, support colors. Oh, and you can see it. All, all the red cards are definitely support cards, too. Pyroblast, Ingot Chewer, Fire Spout, Ancient Grudge, Empty the Warrens is, I guess, the backbone of a deck. Um, 
you know, it, it's all really, really just like niche color touches, you know what I mean? Half the red cards are just in Philip J. Fry's Belcher deck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, interesting stuff, guys. Yeah. So that's something to take a look at. Uh, we've also got results that different archetypes had um, facing each other. So we've got Delver to start off with here. And obviously against their own archetype, the it's going to be even between win and loss. But uh, looks like Delver, contrary to, I think, what many people had believed, had just a terrible time against Stack Stacks. You know, this is a, perhaps one of the most interesting statistics out of all of the results of the league, uh, in my opinion, is that Delver actually got beat up really bad by Stacks. Uh, I think it was eight matches, wins for Stacks, and two losses, or uh, two wins for Delver. And, uh, you know, some of you guys may recall back in the winter events uh, when Stacks got run out, I mean, we just weren't seeing Stacks anymore when Delver came to its uh, pinnacle. It was having a difficult time competing with it. And, uh, you know, it, it looks like the tides have turned a little bit. I mean, those are pretty convincing numbers. You know, eight wins for Stacks, two. Two wins for Delver. What do you guys think? This tells me it was Affinity that ran stacks out during those winter events. Oh, absolutely. That was a big piece of it. But, uh, I mean, Delver actually was... I, I mean, I can speak firsthand. Delver was very difficult to stacks for stacks to deal with back then. Uh, you know, turn one stack, or turn one Delver, what are you going to do against it outside of exploding with a metal worker turn two, turn three? Uh, I, I was um, going to say, I mean, I think a big piece of this, and I I think I beat Delver in the league three times, and, you know, a big card for me was um, was one, was Tanglewire, and Staff and Inn held its own, and also Triskillian was the biggest reason. You know, being able to deal with them. Whereas uh, traditional builds of Stacks back in the winter events didn't have those tools or weren't using them. So, yeah, I think I think Triskelion is really the one card that put stacks over the top. Um, I don't, Andy, were you playing with Steel Hellkite? Yep. Back like that's another card. Yeah, that's another card that I think is um, um, has helped stacks with uh, with with Delver because before it was always the problem that. Uh, you know, you could get a quick Delver down. If you could flip him on turn two or turn three, you've got a three power flying creature. And, you know, Workshop is taking damage from their own tombs. And before you know it, Delver's only attacked three times. And, you know, the Workshop player is at three or four life. And yeah, I think, yeah, and I, th I think adapt, uh, you know, adapting to that Workshop picked up Triskelion. And steel Hellkite um, to to stop uh, any Delvers that might try and fly over your golems, and I, th that alone is the, is probably changed the the entire scope of the matchup. Yeah, I actually I apologize, Scott. I thought you were talking back in the winter events. I didn't actually run uh, steel Hellkite in this league. Ah, okay. Um, but I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think it's very good. You know, yeah, I've seen... As long as you can get it out quickly on the table, I think it's solid. Um, but yeah, 
Triskelion was really good. I I was actually running worm coils um, okay. instead of the Hellkites, which also obviously are quite good in that matchup because you're recouping your life, and they're very sure. difficult for the uh, the Delver player to deal with if they resolve. But uh, yeah, another uh, another statistic I actually found quite interesting in this match, and I'm curious as to what you guys would think about it, was that Oath actually uh, took a really big beating. Versus Delver. No, Oath. Oath lost four times, did it not? No, Oath beat Delver four times. My apologies. But, uh. No, Oath. Okay, my apologies. So, uh. Yeah, and moving on to Blue Control, you'll see a theme as far as combo results. <laughs> Combo just did terribly in the whole thing. Yeah. There was barely a win to be had for them, and they faced each other a lot, probably because they were all down in the same part of the bracket. But but looks like Blue Control did fairly well. It had a tough time against uh, Fish, but otherwise, and Oath, but, but otherwise pretty much held its own. Yeah. Kind of what you'd expect. It's you know it's got the tools to stop a lot of things. Um, did I just not play Dredge at all? Nope, didn't play Dredge at all. I think that would definitely favor Dredge. Maybe that's just me, but you yeah, can't really counter so. much. You know, it's all do you draw your hate, and if not, Dredge is going to kick your face in. Yeah, and it's generally the blue control decks were all like snap caster decks for the most part, so it wasn't quick win blue decks. Um. So weird. Like I, I could swear for like two weeks straight, we were like every matchup was blue control versus Delver. And now that I think about it, I don't think we ever said you know or or you know Delver versus Snapcaster. And I don't think we ever said uh, Snapcaster versus Dredge, did we? Nope, didn't happen. No, Josh. What about versus Affinity here? Uh, did Blue Control beat Affinity here? Yeah, it looks like three to two. That's actually interesting because uh, that's where Affinity would typically shine is against the control style deck. It just vomits its hand right out on the board in the first turn. Blue Control, I would think, would have a significant difficult time with that. That's an interesting stat. Well, I think that's part of the shift in these Blue Control decks is getting like double value off Lightning Bolts and stuff like that. Yeah, I was going to say, Snapcaster is the best card in that matchup. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of the change in those decks. Whether it be, you know, grabbing the Lightning Bolt and reusing it, or, you know, grabbing a Brainstorm to dig deeper and find either the Ancient Grudge they're splashing or whatever it is, you know? Pyroclasm or... Reuse a misstep on some of those dorks or a Skull Clamp. Uh, true enough. So up next we have the fish results, and uh, they had at least 50-50 win percentage or better against everything except Delver. Delver, they only went two and five. I don't think. I, I don't think that. I know it's crazy because it looks like there's seven games played there. I don't think that sample size is big enough to really like. You could tweak fish so easily to just eat Delver, in my opinion. I mean, you really could if you wanted to, you know. Just throw green lava, in, lava mancer in there. There you go. 
I mean, like, that's it. <laughs> and, and seriously, it, you know, aside from the fact that it's tough to fill up the graveyard for fish, I mean, something like that would be, you know, shit. Or excuse me, excuse my French. Uh, you could throw in, you could throw in a singleton um, cursed scroll. You know what I mean? Fish always has an empty hand. Sure. Or you just play cavernous souls, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know. That's pretty pretty rough for Delver to have to beat a uncounterable Knight of the Reliquary or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. And then what do they do? They either go get a wasteland, go get a uh, maze of it, and just start bringing it to you. Yeah, you're toast. So up next is Dredge. Very small sample size. Three Dredge decks in the whole event. And you can really tell that it's all about the hate by looking at the results. Yeah. They, uh... Yeah. It's like, did you draw your hate? Did you not draw your hate? It's like, you have 60% of your sideboard's hate, and most of these matchups are 50-50, so it's like... <laughs> it's a flip of the coin. Yeah, this doesn't... This doesn't tell us much. I mean, they lost their one match against Stacks. Wow. Big deal. They'll, they'll win the next one, you know. It doesn't tell us anything new about Dredge, really. Now that was Monty playing stacks, so I don't think they'd win their next one. I. <laughs> you beat me to the punch on that one. I, I was going to say, uh, actually, Dredge was uh, was in second place at the end of the Swiss. Is that correct? One of them did go to top eight. Yeah, it was. Uh, Chris won. Chris won went to the top eight. See, a lot of these losses are like two of the losses are George, and he dropped. And then Pitlord, I think, lost, like, two or three in a row. So, Chris won, like, he, I don't even know if he had a loss in Swiss. Did Pete John drop? Uh, I don't think he ended up dropping. He played it out till the end, I believe. Good, good man. Absolutely. So, Josh, tell us a little bit about the Oath results here. So, we had... Five Oath decks, I believe, in the event. Um, looks like Oath took it to Delver pretty hard, and and Combo as well. But uh, no surprises here. And I don't think they lost to Fish as often as they might, because we did see a, several Oath decks in the top eight, and so I think they did well enough against Fish to to get the percentage. The hard part, too, about these statistics, and, you know, obviously we, we got the sample sizes being what they are, but it's hard on some of these matchups to really judge the matchup at its core because if you guys think back and think about some of the most of the players who were rocking Oath were most of the better players in the tournament, you know? You got, like, Cat Weasel and Excorpio and some of these other guys who were playing with Oath and, you know... Some of these matchups might be good and they might be bad, but these players are so tight compared to the average player that some of their results might be a little skewed on a 2-1 single match thing, you know? Definitely yeah. a possibility. Yes. Well, there was an inordinate number of Oath decks in the top eight for how many entered, so... Yeah. And it was certainly some good players. Yeah, there was there was three oath decks in the top eight. Don't spoil it. Oops. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Up next, we've got stacks, and uh, looks like they just pretty much played Delver every time. 
and did well, as we said. And Who's organizing these games? That's what I want to know. How did it end up that way? I'd blame the matchmaker. I know, well. Well, it so ended up in your favor. What do you have to say for yourself, Scott? Uh, I was obviously asleep at the wheel when I was making the, the pairings. Next time he'll make extra special Montolio pairings. That's right. I'm talking about affinity every time. Uh, uh, combo every time. Fish every time. Give him a bad matchup. So uh, last up is affinity, and um, three affinity decks were in the event as well. So they like did to take say it to stats. That, uh, it's three and two with only two... Losses to Blue Control, and both of those were me. Just throwing that out there. Just throwing that out there. All right. Yeah, nicely done, Zach. You know, I've got, um, I've actually, uh, when we get a little bit further down into the um, the podcast here, when we get into daily events, I've got some um, uh, some interesting tech to talk about, actually, revolving around Affinity. So There's a little pre-sell for you. We're going to take a break now. and Be right back after these messages. <laughs> So lastly, we had the combo decks, and, uh... Oh, that's ugly. As you will see, other than when they faced themselves, they won one match. Ouch. Do you so, want to know that, what I actually find extremely interesting about the combo results is that they, uh, combo versus combo was a 50% split. It's, um... Yeah, that's crazy. A little bit of a surprise there. But, th- it, but they, did they really have six... Matchups, yeah. Oh my goodness, but, man! Who 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 made these pairings? You're being facetious, right, Andy? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, exactly. just checking. I was really scared for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like if you want to win and you're a combo player, you should play another combo player. Then you'll win. Yeah, that's play. actually kind of funny that they they paired off six times though. And those are a variety of different combo decks, so it's not like it was mirror matches. It was Belcher and LED Storm and High Tide. and It was all different kinds of terrible. Sure. So lastly, we just broke it down by archetype and uh, how many entered and how many actually made the top eight, and you will see that Oath was the clear champion by percentage there. Yeah, I mean... Three of five. So play Oath. Yeah, Oath is yeah. actually looking pretty solid right now. It's I'm, a big player in the meta. I'm really disappointed that no blue controls made the uh, made the top eight. Sad, sad face. Only one of nine Delver. That actually took the tournament down. Yep. So that is that. Is that. How did the league go for you, Scott? How was it running that? Oh, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I unfortunately hardly participated as I went O2 drop, but, uh, but in terms of running the league, it was, uh, it was a blast. Um, I, I definitely have a lot more respect for MOG because, uh, it certainly was a lot of work to coordinate everything, but, um, but, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I think everybody that I spoke to 
Um, and, and even those that, uh, solicited their, or, you know, or, you know, gave me comments unsolicited were generally favorable about, uh, the league format, how it was run, um, what, you know, the fact that they're looking forward to, uh, continuing the, the, the league over the next, uh, three seasons and ultimately, uh, gearing up to the, the invitational. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm excited to get, you know, number two started, which uh, will be starting in, in uh, just a few more days now. And twenty seventh um, is the deadline to get. Decks. This is that's correct. Uh, right before midnight on Saturday, October twenty seventh is when the deck lists are due. Um, and then we'll be starting the t- the tournament promptly at on uh, a Monday. October 29th. One change I am going to make this year, or excuse me, this uh, this season is that uh, everyone will have the entire weekend uh, to play their matches. So the matches will be due uh, on Sunday night instead of Saturday night. And I will do my best to get the pairings up by Monday morning, but because of my uh, my work schedule, that might happen and that might not happen until Tuesday. Maybe even Wednesday in an extreme case, but I think there were quite a few people that uh, had to draw because they couldn't they couldn't find the time on uh, on the weekend to get the results in. And I was really only giving people one day uh, because by the time I received all the results and tabulated everything and got the pairings out, it was at best in the mid to late afternoon on the East Coast on Sundays. And, um, you know, I, I think I realized that that's probably not the best, uh, the best case for everybody, especially when we have people in Europe and Asia, in addition to North America, trying to play in these events. So, uh, so that's one change for the good, I think. Um, but I, I certainly had a blast. I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, uh, just being able to talk about classic as an active format. Uh, has been has been uh, welcomed. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I think it was huge success. The first thing Alberto told me after he took it down was he's already got I think two other clan mates that he's bringing into the events so or into the next season. So hopefully we build from there. Yeah, excellent job, Scott. Well done. Definitely, Scott. Thank you, you did a good job, buddy. Breathing life into the format. Keep it up. Well, I, I, you know, hey, I can't take all the credit. I know Zach and I were the ones that kind of came up with this idea in the first place. So I have to give uh, I have to give Zach equal credit for coming up with the whole concept. No, no, <laughs> Josh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So yeah, so, I, I gotta. I gotta say, I think it'll be awesome next year when you can't get an automatic buy because Gen Con's gone. Uh, oh, I mean, next, having till Sunday is gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be a lot better. It's gonna be a lot better. So, cool, yes. dude. No, You're I, suck. yeah, no, I mean, I, I realized that there was some, some scheduling difficulties. Um, and, you know, like I said, unfortunately, my travel schedule might make, might require that I travel uh, Sunday over overnight on Sundays, um, and and as such, I, I might not necessarily be able to get the pairings out until um, until the 
you know, middle part of the week. But I think universally everybody understands that the weekend is the best time for people to, to play classic. It's the only time we fire events on the weekends for daily events. Um, so I, yeah, it just I makes more sense. Scott, I, I think it's good to add the extra day on the weekend there for the league. I like yeah. noon on Mondays. Right on. Generally, noon on Mondays is when I like to play the events. Noon, yeah, me too, bro. I love that. <laughs> what the heck? So, uh, I think going right along with the success of the league, <coughs> we uh, had quite a bit of success with daily events this last last weekend here, and fired an event Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. Good work, guys. Let's keep it up. So, Andy, I know you were in all three of these events. you want to start us off with the October 12th event? Yeah, for sure. Uh, actually, the Wolf, too, took down the event. He went 4-0, and he is running my not-so-favorite deck, Affinity. However, this is a an interesting list. Uh, there's a little bit of tech in this deck list that I think is most excellent, and I'm surprised Affinity hasn't adapted to it before this, and that he is running two Tangle Wires in his deck, which is just... I mean, I spoke to the Wolf after the event, and he told me how good they were and that he was going to up it to four Tangle Wires. And, you know, when you guys think about the, the natural synergy of this deck and how Tangle Wire fits into it, it's just... Uh, Really, really good. You belch out your hand, you belt out your hand, turn one, turn two, you drop out a tangle wire, good game. You know, that simple. Tangle wire is so good. What do you guys think? It's a very I think it. Card. I think it's a terrible idea yeah. to make Affinity any better than it already is. I hate to play against tangle wire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about it. I mean, like... Uh, um, let's just say you get down the, uh, the Paltry Mishra's Workshop, turn one, you drop out, uh, you know, take your pick, two Pestermites and um, uh, a Memnite and, uh, you know, whatever, pick your other creature there, okay, that's uh, three or four creatures out turn one, then turn two, you drop out a, a Tangle Wire, well, have fun your next three or four turns trying to combat those, God forbid what you pay in turn three, like, uh, oh, now, is Affinity playing Pestermite? But really excellent tactic. I think he meant Frogmite. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think they were running Pestermite very often. Uh, you know what I mean. Sigil Pest. Excuse me, Signal Pest. Oh, Signal Pest. That was way off. Pestermite, <laughs> You know what I'm saying. Yeah, sure. Congratulations to the wolf. So up next looks like a deck that you would probably also love, Andy, and Lord Sapphire went 3-1 and one with a uh, Trading Post Stacks deck. Yeah, this is a, an interesting build, and I don't think something we've actually seen in Classic up to this point. Uh, we've certainly talked about the card Trading Post, and uh, here it is, sitting in the money. I, uh, I, I don't know. It, what do you guys think of Trading Post in the Stacks build? This is a smoke stack build. Yeah, I don't understand null rod in the sideboard for this. Yeah, a little awkward for sure. I guess he must side out trading post and stuff when he does that, but 
Well, yeah, it doesn't have natural synergy, certainly, uh, Null Rod, when you're looking at cards like uh, Karn, and you've got, you know, you're running three metal workers, you've got trading posts in your deck, soul rings, but... Uh, yeah, Revoker just seems better. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what thread he's after with the Null Rods there. Three Null Rods is a lot of sideboard space, but uh, obviously it was working for him. Took it into the money. You know, Serum Powders is a one, another one it shuts off. Mana Vault, Mana Crypt... Quite a few cards in his deck, but um, yeah. What do you guys think of trading posts, Zach? Um, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. I'm not. I've like finally like started to realize that sometimes I'm just not good enough at a certain deck type to fully like comment on it, and I just have no idea regarding stacks and uh, you know the general dynamics that the deck has. I, I'm I'm pretty good at playing against it, but. I don't really know how to judge it against other cards that would, you know, serve a similar role. And I, I, I honestly, yeah, I, I know there's not anything that's super similar to it, but I, I don't really know how to gauge a card like that. What, what? I don't know. I don't know. It, it looks cool. I mean, on paper, it looks really cool. When it came out, I, I was like, wow, that might, you know, make some moves. But I, I think maybe just because of the perceived lack of movement that it's had since it came out, that I. I have no idea how to really gauge it. I thought it'd be bigger than it is right now. Yeah. Well, the yeah. next deck looks like something you can comment on, Zach. Looks kind of like a Zach-type list. Yeah, the next deck's pretty awesome, i got to admit. Like, not showing my blue bias or anything, but I love the four libraries. I actually, in a deck like this, some, some people might say, hey, you know, it's a two-drop 1-1 one, one that gets more cards, but... The Squadron Hawk in this deck looks really cool. Really, really good way to maximize brainstorms late in the game. Um, and what Brunel ways? Squadron Hawk's good with Library Alexandra, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, really hot synergy. I'm sure that's not unintended. Um, Squadron Hawk, Stoneforge Mystic replaces itself. Uh, Snapcaster Mage can recast stuff like the, uh, the Brainstorm or, you know, most of the cards that you want to recast, like the Spell Snares, which he's running an awesome four of of. Um, it's a cool deck. Also, I like it. Base the Mind Sculptor as well. Yeah. Go draw yourself three cards, three Squadron Hawks, ship one back to Jace the Mind Sculptor, redraw it when you cast your next one. Yeah, I'm Since not I'm not digging the Mana Drains, though. Gotta admit, not digging the Mana Drains. Like, I, I think Spell Pierce might even be better there. I don't know. This is a standard deck, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, cool to see Squadron Hawk. That's really neat. Good for you, Tommy. I, I like guess that. we mentioned it's Tommy Topdecker that went three and one. Yeah, good. Yeah, I thought we already said his name, but good job, Tommy. Um, sideboard looks pretty tailored to slapping around uh, Affinity and Stacks, huh? With the Serenities, the Steel Sabotage, uh, some Swords of Plowshares for the little dudes. Ray of Revolution. Sweet. Well done. Want to take us into the next one there, Scott? Sure. Yeah, no, it's uh, only fitting that my MTGO Academy colleague, Chris Cool, went 3-1 uh, with a slightly updated version of his Green-White uh, Hate Bears deck. Um, the, the one really unique card in this deck, if you look at the very bottom of the very long creature list... Uh, is three veteran explorers. 
And then right above that, you see a Thrag Tusk. But, uh, but specific to the Veteran Explorer, um, it's quite interesting because he's got skull clamps to ensure that he can put the Veteran Explorer in the graveyard. And when he does, he gets, he's almost guaranteed to get a considerable land advantage because most decks, while they do run basics, they probably max out at two. Uh, whereas he can dump depending on how many explorers he has he can dump uh up to six basics onto the uh onto the great and uh, onto the battlefield which allows him to cast his thrag tusks and uh and several other cards that would you know certainly not seem like you could really reliably cast them in in uh in classic um, but it, sure and, and then of course you can pile that mana into finding whatever you need with the green sun zenith so um i you know i think this is kind of the next evolution of of what chris was working on i know when he chose his deck for uh the first uh qt he basically took a stock list of green white and and just you know registered the deck as well as it was and now that he's had some time to play with it i think he's you i think this deck is pretty much his uh his improvement to that deck so it's uh it's interesting to see some of the card choices he's got in there but, um, so another one that jumps out to me what a peculiar card to see in a green white hate deck I've, I've, I've never seen it before sure yeah i will admit that something like veteran explorer scares me because there's a lot of basic islands floating around right now and I just feel like blue decks are a little more able to take advantage of busted plays than this deck would be able to. Yeah, there are things that I really like about it. I like the ramping aspect, and like as Andy would attest, um, when you play cards like his 5-5 uh, flyer that destroys things or his 6-6 six, six worm that gains life or anything like that, when you start winning the ground war, the pressure like immediately flips to the other side of the table whether if you're winning on life total or not i mean you have active threats the 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 parts about the deck that i'm not like really understanding maybe it's just because i don't know but um two thalia two avon mind sensor the singleton revel arc and those are in i guess four relic orders make sense but those guys you can't search with the gsz's and to not be running fours or even threes of those it just it seems like it's like it's more of a win-more scenario where it's like one in every 30 cards rather than one in every 15 or one in every 20. So I, I don't know. I'd like to hear his thoughts on that. But the rest of the deck looks really cool. I love the Thrag Tusks. I think it's an awesome, subtle touch on what you can do with Veteran Explorer mana doing like turn four Thrag Tusk. Or excuse me, turn three Thrag Tusk. Um, not a lot of classic decks can answer that. Yep, definitely the first time we've seen those two cards in classic, Veteran Explorer and Thrag Tusk. I know this, we, the uh, Explorers quite often played in, um, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, in a deck called Nick Fitton Legacy, which I think uh, Caleb Dermwell created, but never seen it in Classic, and uh, yeah, it looks pretty good. Well done, Chris. So last up, some guy, Montolio. Yes. Like, uh, surprise, surprise, he was playing a deck with a lot of brown cards in it. Poop deck. He was on yeah, the deck. Not too much to say here. I kind of skulked into fifth place in this one, and 
was um, um, really quite an unexciting event. I there was uh, several new people that I've never seen in this daily event, and I actually had a pretty straightforward path to the uh, to the fourth round. Um, played a couple decks that were I would consider not class-worthy in uh, in elves and. Um, some other odd creation some some fella had brought in and uh, ended up getting my way into the uh, into the fourth round there after taking a first round loss to Lord Sapphire with Oath and um, yeah it was uh, yeah there you go my my um, metal worker stack stack three one so moving on to the thirteenth now we again see Montaleo. Another event entry and a better result. 4-0. Another poop deck. Holy cow. Looks like the exact same deck. Well, I'm not sure if it is. Is it identical? Yeah, it's your 61-card special that I could fund you for. What's the 61st card, dude? Let's help you cut it. What's the 61st card? I gotta tell you. Clearing Academy. Because... Just so you know, I don't play 61-card decks, but evidently when I was tinkering with my tech there, I had saved a 61-card deck on the Friday night, and uh, as I said, I sculpted into the 3-1 position with it, and proceeded to get into the Saturday event without re-looking at my deck, knowing it had 61 cards, and reloaded it. So um, I'm not sure what the extra card was there, but what I will say about this event is... um, uh, had some tough competition in this one. I ended up getting through two Oath decks and uh, battled Merfolk in the final, so uh, up against some heavy blue-based uh, uh, counter magic. And I think I alluded to the last podcast how good Cavern of Souls has been for me in stacks. And uh, I cannot reiterate how strong it was for me in this tournament. And I would say it was probably the greatest player for getting me into the uh, the winner's circle here because on at least two different occasions, I was able to resolve uh, metal workers with the uh, with the Cavern of Souls uh, with my opponent with a mitt full of uh, of cards. Surely they had counter magic, couldn't do anything about it. Belched my hand out the next turn, and it was game probably five matches it was really strong for me resolving a, a critical creature so wait 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 uh, five matches or I, I beg your pardon five games I was gonna that was an impressive five. tournament you had like three ghost qualifiers before the start <laughs> yeah that's what it is eh sometimes I get uh, you know but you only went four and oh but yeah anyways uh, point being Cavern of Souls uh, is still continues to impress me in this deck and I've had conversations with people, uh, you know, some prominent players that uh, disagree with me, don't think it actually belongs in the deck. And um, uh, the more I play it, the more I tend to disagree with them. It's been very good for me. I'm with you. I'm with you, Andy. I mean, as as somebody who plays quite a few blue decks, um, you know, I I typically will hold my force of wills. Uh, until I see a lodestone golem or something similar. And if you were to name golem with your cavern or souls and make that lodestone golem uncounterable, um, I, I, I might just hit concede right then and there. I'm well, I hope I play you quite a bit then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit 
wary about that logic because when I play stacks, if I have a force of will, I can almost guarantee you it's out of my hand and used by turn two. Um, I hate to see anything that will let the stacks player gain tempo, and I think it slows you down by a turn inadvertently because if you have a workshop and you're playing against a blue deck, if you're not running it, you're going to drop that guy out turn one. Sure, they're going to lose two cards and they're going to stop you, but otherwise you're playing either an ancient tomb or something like that, and it just seems to me like it, it, it adds a turn to your clock. Um, I, I, I counter a lot of um, spheres and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not really afraid to, like, w uh, big um, uh, quotation marks here, but I'm not afraid to waste my force of will on stuff like that because it just evens the playing field as much as you can, and... Now I know Andy, and I know how much he likes poop decking in uh, ancient souls or whatever that thing is, the the land. But um, Cavern souls. Cavernous souls. There you go. I know how much he loves that. So at least at least against him, I have like a little bit of insight, and I'm like, you know what? Screw that. I'm wasting all my forces. Yeah, but you see, I completely understand your logic, Zach. But the thing is, is I'm not sitting around waiting on my cavern of souls. I'm just, I don't, it doesn't play out that way. I mean, believe you me, if I have a turn one play, I'm going to play it out. But where it becomes, you know, and not to say I can't get you on turn one, because I know in one of my matches I actually had uh, a Mana Crypt and uh, a Cavern of Souls turn one. Well, that's too bad. There's my Metal Worker, and, well, you can't kill it uh, on your turn one, then, you know, that's that. But, you know, it's uh, I'm not playing around my Cavern of Souls, but quite often, as I've always said with stacks, Stacks is a matter of actually just pushing through one creature sometimes through counter magic to make the difference in the game, and um, it's doing that for me. So, yeah, yeah it'd, it'd be interesting to see how it progresses. And I'll say totally, I'm not in disagreement with you. I probably think the card's really good. I'm just trying to be the voice of dissension, if that makes sense. Devil's advocate. There you go. So All next right. up, uh, we had Boyne going 3-1 and one with uh, Calavera.deck, and it looks like uh, lots of Merfolk here. What do you guys think about this build? Yeah, it looks like he went with the Waterfront Bouncer tech instead of uh, Gilded Drake. And the Phantasmal Image. Yeah, I like I that Merfolk. I just added it to the Merfolk build I have. It's pretty good against Oath, that's for sure. This is true. Although... I'd still rather have a Grizzlebrand on the table that will be, that I can allow to have another one come into play. I could still draw seven cards off it, you know. True enough. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's, I, I think it's good tech because he can still also copy his uh, his lords and just win on the spot, you know. And he never has to go past two mana, and he just gets an extra couple of lords for free. Yeah. So that's pretty nice with his Aether Vials. Next up, we have uh, the Wolf 2 again. Uh, Monday won the last event, and he's 3-1 uh, in this one. So congrats to you, buddy. Um, Rockin' looks like something similar. Uh, Affinity, probably the same deck. Yeah, looks like he lied to Montolio. He did not go up to 4 Tangle Wire. Maybe it was... Uh, yeah, no, that's, it was a Friday night. I spoke to him about it, you know. Um, Next up is uh, Bald Eagle 247. You guys ever seen this guy before? Yep. I've seen him around a little bit. New for me. I don't think I've ever said the name before. Um, but very cool. A much more traditional fish build. 
Lots yeah. of four ofs. Yeah, four scavenging oozes. That's a lot Main of money. Deck. Four oozes and four goives, man. This guy wants to just meat slap you. Well, I actually played this guy on the Sunday event, and uh, I was playing Green, White, Black, Hate, uh, which is built around the uh, Knight of the Reliquary, and boy, was he giving me a tough time with those scavenging oozes on my knights. Just eating all my lands up. It was, it was really good. Good for him. Nice. Yeah. Looks like a deck our old pal Timmons would love. Absolutely. And Scott, you want to take us into the next one? Sure. So the last deck on Saturday, when 3 and 1, is uh, Skype Sucks, who I still have yet to figure out why he chose that name. But. I digress. He was playing a Slash Panther Workshop deck. And, um, you know, I mean, for me, I'm not that high on Slash Panther right now, but he seems to have, uh, you know, rode it to victory to, on, uh, on Saturday. So it's, uh, it's good for him. I mean, I don't really think Slash Panther is really any better than you know, a workshop, uh, a metal worker deck, or even a stacks deck, or frog um, or even an affinity deck. Yeah, but um, I, you know, without having played him, I can't really say whether or not uh, they made a difference in his matches. Yeah, this is, looks like a an older build. Uh, it's got two main deck null rod and everything, so. It looks a lot like the Slash Panther decks that were around a year ago or so. We've actually been seeing a little bit of an uprising of Slash Panther, though, over the last uh, couple of weeks. I know Patlam, correct me if I'm wrong, has actually placed twice this year with Slash Panther, so it's obviously still a, you know, a, a valid archetype. It's still holding its own. Yeah. Whether that's the due to the Slash Panther or... The other good cards in the deck remains to be seen. Yeah, yeah. Well done regardless. So we move on to the 14th, which was Sunday. And looks like the crispy one himself managed to win with his dredge list. Interesting. Um, nothing super out of the ordinary. Um he has the, the Chain of Vapor, the Nature's Claim, and it's really a wow. So four total. Just think of a four-pack of, you know, one casting cost something. Oh, no. Two-pack. Wow, he's only running two? In the main. Why is he even running any, then? Uh, I don't know. To accidentally win a couple games, I guess. That could be a Lotus Petal and a Third Icarid. I don't know. Okay, um, whatever. Congrats to him. Good job. Um, yeah. You know, I was going to actually comment on Dredge here. Uh, I was playing in the TP room the other day against someone, and a really nice piece of tech that they had in their Dredge deck that completely took me by surprise. I I had, I believe, uh, a ley line of the Void, turn one, with two graft diggers cage i had three pieces of hate in my opening hand in my stack stack and my opponent played a turn to serenity 
out of their dredge deck. That seems almost unplayable. <laughs> See, I feel the same way about it. I do not think it's a good tech. That is the worst tech you've ever tried to pro- totally propagate on this program, Andy. A two-casting cost card in a, in a deck right here. This deck runs nine lands that make mana total. Well, they've got Lotus Petals. They've got Lotus Petals. Not even a playset. And he might have four City Brass. I don't know. But anyways, long story short, as unplayable as it seems, it friggin' just cleaned my board full of hate where I thought for sure I had a victory. So, well, interesting. I've never results-oriented. Do you know, do you know what that's, that's the equivalent of, and, and this ha- actually happened, that's the equivalent of me playing some dude who's rocking some standard hot tech deck, and I'm playing one of my totally suited for the classic metagame decks, and all of a sudden he drops some stupid Thrun the Last Troll that I can't do anything about, and I'm just like, oh my god, that card's so good in classic. Well, Duranoth played one, so you'll have to ask him. <laughs> he thinks it's very good, so... So next up was Xtho13x, and he plays a stack deck that goes a little bigger than some of the stack decks around. Wow. And he only runs three metal workers. Yeah. A couple of mere battle spheres, a couple of Hellkites, a couple of Triskelions, a couple of worm coils, all main. A couple wow. of battle spheres. A couple of battle spheres. And two duplicants. Yeah, and two duplicants main. This is He's got two um Two, four, six, eight, ten six casting cost creatures, and he's got two seven casting cost creatures in his deck. Wow! You know what I kind of like about this is like he has the the hate, you know, the spear and the thorn and all that good stuff. But for him, tangle wire might be even better than it is for most guys because think about it. It's even if he plays at turn one with no sphere or anything else, right? He is basically giving up the next three turns or however long it'll be. But on that third turn, he's going to play something for six or seven mana no matter what. Yeah. It's just got, he doesn't get wastelanded. He's got some big cards. And just in case it's not enough, he's got a couple more duplicates, a Triskelion, and a Worm Coil in the board. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the matchup that he brings in? He just feels he does not have enough six casting cost creatures. But it clearly works for him. I just realized Mere Battlesphere is a is a construct. Just yep. like Metalworker is. Just like Triskelion. Yep. yep. Looks like a deck that could use some Cavern of Souls. Too bad you can never cast a mere battle sphere with one mana lands. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying that you could probably stand to take take out a couple of cards and just throw in two more lands. Yeah, heaven forbid he runs something stupid like a measures factory. Yeah, attacking for two is useless when you can attack for thirteen. Hey, go big or go home. Exactly. <laughs> That's what he should name his deck. <laughs> so next up. next up here we've got God Mode Magic three and one, and this is a little bit of throwback affinity here. This is a, a build I have not seen in a long time. With four disciples of the vault, not digging it. Four disciples no. of the vault. 
I don't think I've ever seen those in plastic. Four Masters of Ethereum. I hate Memory Jar. It's like Popper Affinity smashed into Classic Affinity and came up with something slightly worse than both. Yeah, I'm, uh, blah, blah, blah. I won't talk it down too much. You might need. Yeah, Springleaf Drums. I mean, that these are these are traditional Affinity cards, four cranial plating. Like we don't see those cards in the the modern era of Affinity. Now, Cranial Plating's a card, I think, that could see some play. I think that card is severely underrated no matter what the deck is. It's it's a really good card with, with a artifact shell. I mean, it's 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 just a good card. Um, but it has a utility, and it sticks to its utility. I think that's what makes it good. Whereas some of this other stuff, like Memory Jars, extraneous fluff. It doesn't do much unless you're sitting there and you have five mana, and it's, you know... Either you're established on the board, or it's going to give you some much-needed juice. But either way, if you're playing a blue deck, meh. I, I think it's kind of fluffy. But, yeah, Cranial Plating has tangible benefits on any one of his dudes. Mm-hmm. And so does Master of Ethereum, for that matter. I mean, it's a three-casting-cost card that gives plus-one, plus-one for each artifact to play. Yeah, but he, I guess he's running four opals. I guess he can get blue. I'm just thinking four opals, two springleaf drums, and... One seat of the synod. One academy. I mean, that's not a lot of blue, bro. Fair enough. But it did well, good. Worked out. Uh, next up we have Sadistic Black Doll. And he, she went 3-1. Um, pretty... Now it is he, she? Is that... Well, I can't tell if it's a chick or a dude because it's a doll, but it's a magic player, so you assume dude, so he, she. I don't know. Okay. Um, Sadistic Black Doll went 3-1. and one, uh, 20 lands, uh, Oath. Uh, basically pretty generic at this point in time. Grizzlebrand, Emrakul, Blightsteel to vary up the threats a little bit, Tinker in there. Good deck, I mean. Uh, also has a good game, kind of a, the double dragon's breath in there. Um, so, any thoughts on this one, guys? No show and tell, is there? No, no show and tell. Yeah, I think everyone, for the most part, is running show and tells. At least a couple in their oath builds now. Yeah, it's been a while since we've just seen straight up good game. It's all being hybrid. So Scott, we've got your uh, your cohort over at Academy here again. Yes, and he actually posted uh, just today the videos of uh, of his matches, and I've I watched most of them, uh, but not all. And um, I was actually pleasantly surprised to see a honest to god control deck actually place in a daily event. There have been Deseret deck. Yeah. Th- I, I actually went through all the results for the last nine daily events starting back to the beginning of s- September when we started firing these again. This is the only true control deck that finished and placed in any of them. Well, I mean, you can call Oath Control. I, I, call it an, I call it combo control. Yeah. But 
I mean, and you can consider this combo control because half of his game plan is to, you know, vault key you. But, um, but I, I mean, for me, I, I consider Oath a, a side shoot of a control deck. Um, but, but nonetheless, I mean, the, it, if you, if you guys have some time, I, I encourage you to take a look at the videos. The, the matches were, uh, highly interactive. And I know Chris was, um, uh, unfamiliar with the deck because he hadn't been able to play it outside of a few uh, tournament practice room matches. So his his lines of play may have been uh, not uh, not ideal. Um, but the deck the deck does have a lot going for it. Um, you know, in terms of card draw, there's a considerable amount of uh, card advantage. She's got three libraries. Uh, he's got baleful Strix. He's got uh, thirst for knowledge, brainstorm. Now, those are all straight draw cards. In addition to trinket mage, which replaces itself as well. So, um, in most of the games, he was able to consistently have uh, six, seven card hands, um, which uh, you know is, is certainly an advantage when your opponent is usually into uh, two or three in the late game. Curse scroll doesn't seem to work too well with six or seven card hands. But. No, he admitted that it probably it probably shouldn't have been in the deck. I think he mentioned um, the fact that it was just an experiment. Uh, I think he was looking for some sort of direct, some way, some way to deal direct damage um, in his colors, which were just blue and black. Great card, yeah. But not sure if it's in the archetype. I'm actually wondering about. Uh, First thing that pops out to me about his deck list is the fact that he's actually only running two underground seas and yeah, two dark slick shores. Is there a reason he's not running four underground seas? Mm, probably not. I, I, I can't say. Issue, I would think. Yeah, I, I can't really say it, it's an it's a card access issue. Um, but he may have been loaning uh, two of them out to somebody else. Okay. At the time, I'm thinking. I, I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt. I, but I, I mean, obviously, there would be no particular reason to run Dark Slick Shores over uh, Underground Sea. Yeah, you would prefer a fetchable land, I'm sure. Sure, and one that enters the battlefield, you know, untapped unconditionally. Yeah. Style points are worth way more than that, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, there is some. Serious style points awarded for Dark Slick Shores, that's for sure. I also noticed there's a Frost Titan here. I was going to ask Andy if he knew you do actually have to pay two mana if you want to target that guy. Yeah, yeah, learn the hard way with that one. It's um, not as true, Josh. you got to pay two mana if you want to target this guy. <laughs> so that takes us through the events. Um, we have a community spotlight. We're starting with the people that placed top eight in the first run of the league. And we start out with our winner, Alberto. So we asked him how he became interested in Classic in the first place. And he said Magic is power, and Classic for now has the most powerful cards. And he always wants to play with the maximum possible power. <laughs> also, I've always wanted to play Mud, so uh, 
maybe he'll be running that in the next iteration of the league, and he hasn't had the opportunity in real life to do that. Um, we asked if he could play any deck, what would it be? And he said he has the cards for every classic deck, basically, and um, he just wants some jewelry, and he wants to learn how to play Dredge. Um, you know what? I think people really don't understand how hard that deck is to play correctly. I think that's a good point to like just note. Dredge might be cheap to build, but to be good at it, ask the wild dog. It's not easy. Yep. It's easy to go 3-1, and one, but hard to go 4-0. Oh. Yeah. I will say this about Dredge, though, is it's perhaps one of the most forgiving decks out there. You can pick that up and you can not be that good and you can still win with it. In game one, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Knowing how to keep game two and three is where what separates good from bad players. Fair I, enough. I, I think some people can keep decks with or hands without bizarre in some cases if you know what you're playing against. You know what I mean? Yep. I've been victimized by that exact play past. So that pretty much does it for us uh, this week, I would think. Anything else you'd like to say about the league, Scott? Uh, nope, nothing um, Nothing more. I just wanted to add that we are still accepting donations uh, for the prize pool so that we can keep the momentum going forward. I know that we handed out some great prizes uh, in the first QT, and in order to be able to do that again, uh, we need all the donations that we can get. So please uh, send them to me. Actually, I'd prefer if you could find my... Uh, my secondary account called Unlocking the Vault. No spaces. Uh, that's where I'm storing all of the prizes for the uh, for the event. Um, so if you ever see me online and you want to make a donation, just send me an, a PM and let me know what you want to uh, want to donate, and we can facilitate the trade. Perfect. I donate uh-huh. my love for sure at all times. You're just like Calavera. So, we'd like to thank uh, Pure MTGO for hosting us and MTGO Traders for sponsoring us. And that's all for us this week. We had a pretty big show. Thanks, guys. Definitely. Thanks for being on, Scott. It was nice having you, bud. Great league, great season one, man. Yeah, thank you, guys. I guess uh, maybe we'll do this again in about eight weeks once uh, season two is wrapped up. Sounds Sounds good. good. All right. See you next week, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye.